0: Welcome back everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, AKA Dr. Bell. And I'm super, I'm a EFT therapist and EFT supervisor here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. And I lead the community for Southern Nevada EFT. And I recently published an EFT book on using relentless empathy in the therapeutic relationship. You can find it on Amazon. I hope that you find it and that you enjoy it. It's written for the busy therapist. And I am super excited to bring back on our show, Dr. Scott Woolley. You guys have seen him in some of our previous videos on working with affairs and uh, working in stage two. And I'm excited to bring him back. Now, Scott is one of our EFT trainers, one of the co-founders from Tri EFT in San Diego. He's also a distinguished professor and Uh, the one of the directors for uh, the uh, master's and doctoral program for marriage and family therapy at Alliant University. So he's just really awesome. And we're super excited to have him back. And we are talking about a super, super important topic today, which is how to use emotionally focused therapy with clients who are autistic or neurodiverse. So let's kind of start off, Scott, if you could kind of talk to everyone a little bit so we can come around the same page around, you know, what, it, what does it look like or mean to be autistic? And what is autism not?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to focus much of our discussion on adults um, mm-hmm. and couples therapy, but we can also talk some family or individual as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also want to say, it's actually very nice to be back here. Okay. It's so So, um, autism is a spectrum disorder in adults. You actually, it can, anybody can have it. Um, there are certain strengths that happen and there are certain difficulties. Okay. Typically adult, um, people are on the spectrum Mm -hmm. as we say. Um, some are very dysfunctional, cannot operate on their own, have to be in group homes. But where we're gonna focus is people who are more high up functioning. And in fact, um, I was just looking at some research that engineers and scientists are far more likely to have autism spectrum disorder. Um, And so there's also some real strengths and some of those strengths involve uh, oftentimes having a very good memory, not always, the ability to focus on certain kinds of things and uh, understand logical uh, ways of uh, seeing the world, hence being able to understand you know, um, mathematical equations, advanced mathematical equations, engineering, those kinds of things. So we see that on the other side Oftentimes people who are neurodivergent in this area are struggle in recognizing kind of social cues. They oftentimes learn, they can get overwhelmed. Anxiety and depression oftentimes can happen. They can get overwhelmed with sensory input. And so one of the characteristics is at times, it's hard for them to look people in the eye, they'll look down and um, mainly because they get overwhelmed. They get overwhelmed by um, the uh, sensory input. So another characteristic is what we call difficulties around sensory integration. So sometimes their clothing is, it's very difficult for them to integrate different Feeling of clothing or different types of touch um, can be difficult. So, I mean, those are some of the highlights.
0: Kind of like tactile
1: Tactile. uh, issues,
0: like, you know, maybe one material versus another material, you know, can also show up in food, kind of the tactile areas of food. Certain um, consistencies of food might be really overwhelming. Food's
1: another huge one. And taking in, you know, they may be very. There's certain foods they like and they don't like, and they don't want to try new ones. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they develop a lot of rules, unconscious or conscious rules about how things operate, and they follow those rules. Mm -hmm. And they may develop those very early, including this food I do not like, this food I like, and I don't try this one, and I just eat this one only.
0: Mm -hmm. Which is just a way of helping them navigate the world and make sense out of it and survive.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: And, you know, so what I want to highlight some important things that you're saying is that, A, you know, I think kind of the old school societal mentality was that society tend to pathologize people who were on, who are neurodiverse. And so we really want to break those myths and and again demonstrate that they're actually a lot of them are quite brilliant, in fact. And really um, help bring more acceptance and um, you know, show that they're just regular people too, right? So depathologize that. But the other importance is too, and, and I've really noticed this a lot, is that a lot of therapists can kind of do this thing where they are like overexcited to diagnose somebody as autistic when they just struggle with social cues or can't do emotions. And it's really not an appropriate title. And so that's another reason why, and maybe Scott, you can talk about this a little further about what autism is not or how, there are a lot of comorbid symptoms that you know could belong to other things, but also you can struggle with social cues and struggle with emotions for a lot of good reasons and it have nothing to do with being neurodiverse. Um, so it, it really does kind of, it really touches my heart a lot when I hear a lot of therapists like, oh, they struggle with social cues, they must be autistic, or they struggle with emotion, they must be autistic. And that feels kind of the opposite way where we're path, we're pathologizing somebody who might have learned to survive and adapt to their social environment and find acceptance by shutting down emotion, right? Yep. So can you speak a little more about that?
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, there, First of all, actually, let me just speak to the issue of diagnosis in general, and particularly as it relates to EFT. And then I'm going to circle back specifically on some of the other ones. Um, diagnosis of individual diagnosis can actually be liberating and helpful. And it can also, and often is restrictive And um, it can narrow our belief in change, okay? Um, And it can narrow the way we think about, it can help us miss systemic interaction patterns, okay? When, and uh, like you said, sometimes we feel great. We can put a label on something or on Mm -hmm. someone. uh, And uh, Jay Haley used to point out Yeah, but what about the person? They need to get better. You know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we all feel good because we've come up with a label or an understanding. And but it's really about how do you bring about change? Mm -hmm. And the and to the degree that any diagnosis narrows our understanding of how to move forward, it's a problem. If it expands, it can be helpful. Our how to move forward and bring about change. So Um, There are a number of other things. Avoidant attachment, for example, that people learn often very early in life can look a lot about like autism spectrum disorder, okay? You know, people are not necessarily tuned into their own emotions, to other people's emotions. The fact of the matter is, is if you don't tune into other people's emotions, then, and your own over time, you become less and less focused in that area and you don't learn as much. And it can look like autism spectrum disorder, but it's not. Traumas can, there's a number of things. I think the important thing isn't the label. Even if, I mean, with autism spectrum disorders, um, we know that there are brain processes that are different. Okay? But we also know that the brain is constantly reshaping and uh, rewiring itself. The big question is, how do we help people function better? In um, And if we're doing couples therapy, how do we help this couple find joy and bonding and connecting? How do we have it be safe for people?
0: Yeah, I think you bring up some really good points. And kind of the irony there is that, you know, Sometimes labels can narrow our perspective of a client and change, which to me is a little ironic because as therapists, we are in the business of change, but it, it is true. And it's something I'm very passionate about and actually wrote about in my book is that when we kind of get stuck on the label and we don't see the person, we may miss the broader contexts that there are reasons. I mean, if you weren't accepted a lot as a kid and you, but you found acceptance maybe in, in a online gaming world. And so you spent a lot of your time socializing online and gaming and weren't exposed to other children or other people, then yeah, reading social cues may be hard and it's got nothing to do with being autistic. And you know, lots of folks for, like you said, trauma or avoidant attachment also struggle to do emotion. They weren't taught how to do emotion, but they learned to survive by shutting down emotion because every time they showed emotion when they were younger, they got rejected or dismissed or not responded to. All that does is reinforce why it's not safe to do emotion. So, you know, really kind of helping therapists to be patient. And to really see the person, which is what we do in EFT, is to really understand the systemic uh, contributions that might have created this, might be a part of this. And even if a person does have autism, which can be liberating for folks that feel like they've been struggling and not really had a solution or a way to understand, it can be helpful. But either way doesn't mean that we can't treat them in therapy in couples therapy and it doesn't mean that they can't learn how to do emotions or learn how to do social cues or have successful love relationships or that they don't desire to be loved or be in a loving relationship because they do and there's a wonderful show about that actually love on the spectrum all about um neurodiverse dating so um how would we so in eft How would we kind of put somebody is autistic or they are showing, you know, struggling to do emotion? How would we work with that?
1: Right. It's a great question. And where, and and again, I want to reiterate wherever it comes from. Okay. Mm -hmm. The symptoms that we typically associate with, you know, high functioning autism Uh, used to call it Asperger's Mm -hmm. um, that may be getting in the way of the couple connecting. Mm -hmm. How do we work with that? First of all, I actually think it's really important that to remember that most couples uh, got together for a reason. There was at a certain point in their relationship, typically there was connection. There was a certain amount of attunement or They wouldn't be together in the first place. It has fallen apart, typically by the time they get to our offices. And the person may be struggling in many different ways. But it certainly can, uh, it's just important to hold that in. Because again, one of the traps is, oh, gosh, you've got all the signs of autism. It's autism that can't change, which is not true. And there's nothing you can do about this. And it maybe helps us feel good if we're like, okay, it's not my skills that aren't getting this couple together. He's autistic kind of thing. That is a huge trap. And so believing that people can change is very important. My experience in working with people on the spectrum, and I have both experience with my family and certainly plenty of professional experience working with couples mainly is that um, first of all usually people are very bright and they can learn but they oftentimes in social interactions have been like you say teased rejected um they're with a the person because they care sometimes they oftentimes present as withdrawers and they oftentimes are withdrawn at the time But they do need connection. They do need connection. It just needs to be safe. And one of the tricky things is that um, although they may miss social cues, that can lead to them being outcast or feeling outcast or rejected Mm -hmm. growing up. And oftentimes they have very deep wounds around feeling like, They're not loved. People don't want to be around them. People don't care about them. And consequently, they learn to shut down their own attachment longings. But they're still in there. Okay? So that, first of all, you just have to remember, it's in there. Mm -hmm. You've got to create enough safety to help Mm -hmm. them come into it.
0: And also be patient. I think that's one of the other things, too, is that therapists start mistaking a block as a disorder, right? Well, they're not, they're not showing emotion fast enough. They're not getting there fast enough. I can't access them soon enough. So they're, they're kind of like pushing. And when the client isn't moving as fast as they want, then it's like, Oh, we we look for something to blame. It must be because they're really autistic or they're really this.
1: And again, maybe they do have, you know, mm-hmm. spectrum, maybe they don't, whatever it is, we still got to get past it. Yeah, right? whatever it is. I mean, if a label helps expand and push us forward, great. But oftentimes it does just the opposite. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes labels in couples therapy make it worse. Well, your husband is a high functioning autism. And then it, that can create all sorts of hopelessness. Because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, my husband has this. No wonder there's nothing we can do, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right? Rather than, so instead, one of the things I oftentimes do is I talk about the logic of emotion. Okay? Sue so has said, you know, I've met many irrational cognitions in my life. I've rarely ever met an irrational emotion. Mm-hmm. The idea behind that is is that if you understand the context of emotion, emotions make sense, but you have to assume they make sense. One of the things that happens in our culture is we assume that emotions are the irrational, cognitions are the rational, okay? So then we don't try to understand the rationality around emotion. If we talk about the rules of emotion, the logic of emotion. I mean, I've had people that are kind of spectrum me say, oh, that's interesting. I mean there's rules to this? Oh, okay, let's talk about that, okay? And these days in EFT, we're using the Tango more and more. And Sue has really, on Tango Move 2, has really encouraged us to talk about assembling emotions which means identifying the trigger, identifying how it lands for the person. And I don't go through all of the details with somebody, okay? How it lands, what happens inside of them and what they typically do with it and what they don't do with it, but could do with it, right?
0: And and not just while you're there, not just the emotion, the lack of emotion. We assume that, the lack of the emotion might be an indication of a disorder rather than, hey, this might be a survival piece, a way that you protect yourself by not showing emotion. I have lots of withdrawers who are like this. It's—it's. It's, I call it kind of like playing possum. If I'm still, if I don't show emotion, then I don't give you anything to then target me over and use against me or weaponize.
1: Absolutely. And if I've learned to feel, don't feel emotions, mm-hmm. then... I don't get so hurt.
0: Yeah. Especially if anytime I felt emotion, uh, nobody's been there to comfort me or support me or respond to me. Then all that teaches me is that I'm going to be in pain alone and that doesn't feel good. So just numb, shut out the pain and don't feel.
1: Right. And then, of course, people, once they shut off, they end up Mm -hmm. getting uh, easily into addictions, Mm -hmm. Okay, which is quite, you know it's just a recipe for addictions and and all sorts of challenges.
0: Yeah. Just all kinds of coping strategies that to use, to not feel emotion or simultaneously to try to feel something other than nothing, Mm -hmm. even though it might've been chemically induced by synthetic drugs and, you know, or drugs in general. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Yeah. So in terms of working with people on the spectrum, um, And or that have those kinds of symptoms. Again, first, really introducing and working with the fact that emotions can be logical. This can be worked out. People may not be aware of their own internal need for connection, but there's a reason why they got together, and there's a reason why there's fights. There's a reason why they're shutting down. I think it's important for us to be able to find within them, their desire for safe connection. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Oftentimes just going after connection, their desire for connection is the avenue that you can go down that can bring other feelings. And I think it's like a portal basically. And I think it's also important to mention that when people have learned to shut down emotions so that they're not in pain alone and kind of distance themselves from feeling especially if they've been doing this for a long, long time, we've got to remember that they've had more practice shutting it down than not shutting it down. So it's not going to be an instant overnight process just because we touched it one time or two times in session doesn't mean, okay, great. Now I'm going to be doing it perfectly forever. Right. And this again is where therapists can kind of start to be impatient with themselves. And sometimes I see it when that kind of that thing with EFT is, Oh, uh, like 12 to 20 sessions. And so therapists start, Oh, if my clients aren't better in 12 to 20 sessions, either there's something wrong with them or there's something wrong with me. (laughs) So, you know, and again, not all clients, especially trauma clients um, are going to get through 18, 12 to 20 sessions. And it doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you and it doesn't mean anything's wrong with them. Mm -hmm. It's just called, this is hard. It's new. It takes a while for the brain to rewire itself. And Again, a person, it, it it's a process. It takes place over time. It's not an event, right? So, you know, teaching them how to do something that maybe they've had 35 years or 50 years of doing the opposite is going to take more than one or two times to get the wheels in a different direction.
1: Yep, absolutely. I think it's also very important to not overlook or miss Anxiety, because oftentimes not tuning in is a way of managing anxiety. It's a way of managing also fears of rejection. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: If I don't look at you, if I don't see the disappointment, and which then it's not so painful for me. If I'm looking down, if I don't see emotion in your eyes, which I don't know what to do with or disappointment in your eyes, then i have to deal with it. And I don't have to fail because when I see emotion in you, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. And I know I'm going to not do it right. So I just try to not tune into it. Right. And um, underneath that though, is there's tremendous anxiety. It's scary. Okay. And you have to find a word that fits for them. But getting them to tune into their internal experience around some version of connection and disconnection, right? So, I mean, the, the one of the things we do in EFT is we are very focused on connection and disconnection, and experiences around connection and disconnection are um, they're the gold. Okay, so when we try to open people up emotionally, typically we'll take a cue associated with disconnection helping them see. Um, so we look at points of disconnection, like, you know, your partner is sad. Do you see that right now? What happens inside of you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Your partner's sad because um, your partner doesn't feel like that, that, um, there's any connection here. Mm -hmm. What happens inside of you? That's a goldmine. You're much more likely to get the information there. Uh, in other words, sorry, you're much more likely to be able to start to access fears of mm-hmm. not being enough, fears of blowing it again, um, etc. And even blocks around, I don't know how to comfort anybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've never been comforted. I just turn my own needs for comfort off, um, etc. Another thing that can be helpful with that. Is doing a good history about how they got together, and if there was a courtship. I mean, sometimes people get together because they meet each other at a bar, they end up in bed together, and you know somebody gets pregnant, right? And then they decide to make a go of it. But oftentimes people get together, and there, if there was some kind of a courtship, um, there were times when they felt loved. Were connected, they felt the joy of being together and helping them doing some good history on that. So you can bring up an image. Yes, that night when you were courting and you guys ended up um, camping and the fire was crackling and you were roasting marshmallows and you were snuggling and you felt so close, okay? That is an attachment image. It's an attachment experience. Bring that up so they have some reference about what you're talking about. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I get that.
0: Yeah. And I think also remembering that for those who aren't used to paying attention inwardly, they're really disconnected from their mind-body connection, being really patient with that, that this is the first time they're being asked to look at this part of themselves and connect to that so it's like a mapping out process and they're mapping uncharted territory with you so they have the emotions and we know because they're humans right they have a pulse and and, uh, blood running through their veins and you know even though they might have trouble deeply accessing it or feeling it in their body that's okay because we're going to help them with that we go slow and we really help them start to pay attention to things they've never paid attention to when you never pay attention to it, it's easy to assume it's not
1: there when in fact it is. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So, and, you know, part of this is also very reassuring for the partner because it's like the partner's usually used to thinking my partner doesn't care about me. You know, he, she, they, I'm not important to them. Right. Um, And,
0: Particularly when it comes to a lack of emotional expression, right? They don't show emotion. when it comes
1: to a lack of emotional expression.
0: Right. Which sends me the signal that I don't really matter. They're just saying
1: what I need to hear, but they don't really mean it. Exactly. So when you can access those longings, sometimes just in the past, but those needs to feel accepted and loved and their desire to be close, which sometimes it takes a while to mine, Okay. Mm-hmm but if you are patient with it and you can find it and you can get them people to talk about it, they may talk about it in a very logical way, but the partner's used to that, okay? Mm -hmm. The partner knows that. And um, part of it's also helping the partner learn how to um, talk about uh, or recognize the way their partner signals love. You know, it's kind of being able to read their love language, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, which can be actually quite helpful.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. So really like helping the partner who's not neurodiverse recognize the way that uh, the, the neurodiverse partner might already be trying to show and express love and kind of giving the neurodiverse person words for that place so that they can also be more clear and it's kind of helping both of them. Yes, it's helping the neurodiverse person learn some new places, some words for their emotions, learning to connect to the fact that they have emotions and feel and experience and map that out, but also for the partner who's always kind of been under this belief or or for a while has been under this belief that because my partner doesn't Share emotion or show emotion must mean they don't feel anything, um, which must mean they don't care. Helping them to recognize the ways in which, oh, this is my partner showing that they care. Oh, I had no idea that that's what that was about. Okay. So it kind of opens up more flexibility for both of them.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and for
0: some clients, especially trauma clients, there can be a real danger to opening up and touching their emotion, right? Even the act of feeling emotion can be triggering when there's been so much danger um, around being open previous
1: in their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say this additionally, that there are treatments like medication or, you know, neurofeedback, et cetera, that can be helpful particularly in lowering some of the blocks. If you've got somebody who's really deep into depression and they're an escalated couple, for example, but the person's in deep into depression and the other person is in no way ready to be any what somewhat patient with it. um, Sometimes medication can be helpful, but it's not the BNN doll. Right.
0: medication doesn't give them coping strategies and it doesn't teach them how to heal what's causing the depression.
1: Right, right. But sometimes you go down that road and um, you can, parts of their um, brain start getting active again and other parts start settling down. And at that point, if you, um, you're much more likely to help them open up, you're much more likely to help them attune. Now, we're talking about kind of neurodivergent people as if they're always blocked and shut down. They're not, okay? They can also, some of them are very happy, chipper, open people, and wonderful. Again, uh, many of them are very brilliant. Mm -hmm. And um, so sometimes, you know, uh, getting them to read Hold Me tight. Mm-hmm. can be very helpful a chapter mm-hmm. at a time discussing it and um etc. Um and I remember one guy who was you know kind of neurodivergent he um reading and hold me tight he read about I think in the fourth chapter um accessibility responsive and engagement and that clicked in for him it was like oh so when I come home from work, I need to be accessible, responsive and engaged. So if I come home, what she's been telling me for years, I just do, I normally just come home and I try to make it to the computer in the back bedroom and get on the computer. If I stop and I'm to try to tune in with her accessibility, responsiveness, engagement. And he just, it's like, that was his mantra. And for his wife was like, oh my gosh, he's coming home he's engaging with me okay he read it in a book it's rule based but it was also genuine on his part yeah okay it's genuine um, so you know yeah,
0: people so, don't, don't tend to do the things that they don't always want to do when a relationship doesn't matter to them if they don't care they don't care enough to try and, and even placate even placating can come from a place of caring may not be a totally attuned place of caring, but the desire to keep the connection together is authentic.
1: The desire to keep the connection is authentic. And the attempt to tune mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. is oftentimes for the for the partner who's been living with us sometimes for many years, it's like, oh, he's trying. You know, if it feels so good, it's like, oh, I guess I am important mm-hmm. um, to him. I, I also, I've been thinking about somebody I worked with once who said, um, you know, in his work, which was in a, a mechanical field, he would say, you know, when I'm working, he was a mechanic for cars. And he said, when I'm working on a car, it's a very, it feels like a very different part of my brain than when I'm in relationships with people. And it's sometimes hard for me to shift Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when I'm in relationships with people. I can't like if somebody at the shop talks to me, I have a hard time even kind of hearing it and tuning in and understanding what they're saying, because I'm just in this part that is I'm so focused on the work. Um, I have to do this shift and then I have to really focus on them. And it helps me to in his case, he said, it helps me to look at them. So I can try to figure out kind of the message behind the words. Okay. And he didn't have the problem with looking down, but the message behind the words that is, uh, you know, just to realize that and for his spouse to hear that was actually quite helpful, right? Because it's like, oh, he's trying. He does need this transition time Mm -hmm. and transitions can be difficult, by the way, with spectrum disorders. Um, can be helpful. He also would get overwhelmed um, with stimuli. And consequently, I mean, one of the things that people often do is like, I come home, I do need 30 minutes to just, I mean, the drive home, everything, I need to have no stimulus input, because I get overwhelmed, I can't integrate it. I need to just go in, relax for 30 minutes, and then I'm gonna come out and I can engage with you, I can engage with the children, I can be there. Some of those things are kind of simple, but they actually work.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, it's more and more common for people, even who are not autistic, to need that time. and find the more technology is integrated into our life and American culture in particular, tends to really foster this idea that we need to be busy all the time. So it's easy, you know, we're exposed to far more sensory bombardment than I think we've ever been in the history of humankind. So it is very common. I mean, even I as an ADHD therapist, sometimes the noise in my head after session is just so loud that I can't even listen to the radio because it's just like so much noise, you know,
1: just you've got to uh, uh, down-regulate, right? Yes. And that can be tricky, particularly mm-hmm. for people on the spectrum, not always, but yeah.
0: it can be. Well, and being able to open up and talk about it really helps organize the meaning of it. You know, George Fowler one of our other EFT therapists talks about co-creating meaning, right? Yep. When couples can come together and have a shared meaning around something as opposed to having two separate meanings, like, oh, you know, I'm coming home and me going to take a bath for 30 minutes or go on the computer for 30 minutes. It's not because I don't love you. It's me trying to, you know, take away the sensory stimulus or, you know, kind of diffuse helps them. It, it creates a momentary um, moment of connection where they come together. I love you. I'm thinking about you and I do need this. And me needing this is not about not wanting you or not wanting to be with you. And that's helpful.
1: Exactly.
0: Yep. Yeah. So so really, kind of the points that I think we're trying to stress is a there are many reasons that people may struggle to show emotion or show um, social cues, attunement that have nothing to do with being autistic. But even if a client is autistic, again, which also sometimes having a diagnosis can be helpful, but either way, we work with it the same. It just may be helpful for therapists to kind of tune in to their own, like, is my anxiety come up here because I don't see the client responding fast enough um, or I'm absorbing maybe the other partner's anxiety and then I want to like push or I tend to go to pathologize Again, really tuning in to what's the motivation behind finding a diagnosis and how does that impact my view of change or how I may treat the client in session. And in EFT, you know, we see all people as human, whether they have a disorder or not, all people is wanting to be loved and be connected, even if they're in a place of pushing it away or not being tuned in to their own needs or the emotion. And we assume that people have a good reason to do what they do and feel what they feel, even if the expression of it may not be healthy or functional. Um, But either way, you know, doing the EFT model, we may need to be a little slower with it, just as we would with a couple of trauma, really recognizing that, you know, we can still help clients rebuild neural pathways. We know the brain is, is, has high plasticity, has the ability to do this. So just because somebody shut it off doesn't mean they can't ever go there.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. Just because it's been shut off or it hasn't been as well developed doesn't mm-hmm. mean they can't go there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just, I cannot, I mean, it's one of the most important things for us to understand is, is that uh, anybody and everybody can make change and every single person needs safe connection with another adult. Mm-hmm. What we are really looking for is how to help them find it with each other. Mm-hmm. And the more we can help, particularly people who are um, narrow, atypical, mm-hmm. understand the rules of connection. Right. The logic of connection is probably a okay. better way of saying it because all of us under God, unconsciously, all of us have rules, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, and in fact, Bowlby talks about um, attachment is being kind of unconscious if then statements. If you just do this, then it means this, then I do that, etc. right? In order to connect. Mm-hmm. But so we all have them, but for many it's intuitive, but for some people it's like, okay, they just have to learn the rules of mm-hmm. social engagement, the rules of working together. And they can, that can lower their anxiety levels. And then make it easier for them to naturally attune. Yes. You know, it has to be natural attunement. If they if they do not feel safe, they're not going to naturally attune. I don't care who it is. Right.
0: And not knowing how to do something can be a vulnerable place. Right. So even recognizing the ability to be open about not knowing something um, and trying to, you know, feel around in the dark, you know, with the performance of anxiety. I got to get it right. I got to get it right you know, can cause some more blocks and more pressure, but really just helping them be patient and adjusting your expectations as a therapist to be patient with them, that a lot of these clients are making connections and mapping out language in uncharted territory. That's, you know, just that it's uncharted. So, you know, if we find ourselves wanting to push or kind of jump into labeling Maybe a good place to check in with ourselves and find out, you know, what's happening for me in this place? Is this maybe there's a block present? There's a legitimate reason. Um, maybe I feel anxious that the client is not getting into emotion fast enough. I feel like they should be there already. Um, you know, is this a therapist block? Is this a client block? You know, is it something legitimate either way? When we can kind of recognize what's happening in the moment, we can slow it down. And even if a client has neurodiversity and they don't have a lot of emotional access to anything else in their life, the one place, the one portal you can access in session, especially if they're coming for couples Mm -hmm. therapy, is the portal of connection even right. if they come in for individual therapy, they're probably in individual therapy because they're learning how to have relationship with other people, whether it's platonic friendships or family relationships or romantic relationships. So using that portal of connection as a way to help opening the channel of emotion and start mapping the territory and the lack of emotion, it can also be seen as a survival adaptive yes. strategy. Yeah.
1: So. Absolutely, That's a just cast.
0: do EFT, guys.
1: Just don't do EFT. EFT. <laughs> Sue oftentimes will say that people will ask, "Well, how do you do it here?" Just do EFT, you yeah. know. And sometimes she'll give an explanation. And she'll say to me afterwards, "I just we just need to tell them to do EFT." But mm-hmm. um, you know, and if we are attuned, if we are attuned to where they are, and don't get rustled because of the way they don't respond or do respond or seem extraordinarily cerebral, Mm -hmm. okay? Again, I think if we get curious, if we understand they need a lot of safety, because we all do, Mm -hmm. and if we can also imagine and remember that these two got together for a reason, they did get, there was some connection at some point. And this person, and, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about men, and men tend to be more likely to be on the spectrum than women, but there are women on the spectrum as well. Mm-hmm. So they got together for a reason. if we can remember that there was say, loving connection mm-hmm. at one point, our job is to get them back to that mm-hmm. and make it even better. And we and can an- do it
0: and a desire to be in relationship because they could have been single and they weren't, they aren't, they didn't stay single. They made a choice to be in relationship. So yep. just do EFT guys. And I love, thank you for mentioning two of the pinnacles of EFT is relentless empathy and curiosity, which yep. is all about what I wrote about in my book, using relentless empathy with challenging and difficult clients. Um, find it on Amazon Scott, thank you so much for talking to us about this super important um, topic. And oh, remembering that there is an EFT talk episode on using relentless empathy and curiosity in sessions, So you might want to check that out. Um, Scott, where can EFT therapists find you if they would be interested in attending a training or having you come to their area to do a training? Where could they find you and, and request that?
1: I think that one of the best ways you can either go to Alliance International University and just put my name in, Scott Woolley, two O's, two L's, mm-hmm. E Y, um, or go to tryeft.org, T R I E F T.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do a lot of trainings through tryeft.org. And you could email help at tryeft.org. You can also just email me directly at S W O O L L E Y at a-L-L-I-N-T dot
0: edu. edu. Perfect. And I will put a link to uh, both Try EFT and Scott's email in the description of this video. If you're watching it on YouTube, sorry, if you're listening to it on podcast, you'll have to rewind and take notes. Um, But thank you again so much Scott for being with us we so appreciate your expertise and your knowledge and make sure you check out isep.com there's also a list of EFT trainings and some of Scott's trainings will be posted there and tryeft.org has some amazing resources for therapists as well some great forms um, and resources that therapists can also use to give to their clients so make sure that you check that out and Thank you to our viewers for watching the videos. Without you, there wouldn't be a channel to (laughs) subscribe to. So make sure that while you're watching this video, you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way. Don't forget to buy my book, Using Relentless Empathy in the Therapeutic Relationship, Connecting with Challenging and Resistant Clients for Helping Professionals. Available on Amazon or on my website, www.drbugatti.com.